Welcome to the We as Citizens podcast. Here is your host, Christina Crowley. Welcome to the podcast. Today I have with me Franny Foltz. We're going to talk about the evolution of her over her life, over a number of years, and what she is uh, doing today. Uh, welcome, Franny. Hi, I'm so glad to be here with you and your, and your audience today. So thanks so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Now, Franny, you have, you have changed physically and emotionally over the years. So why don't you talk about your journey however you'd like to, wherever you want to start? Sure. So I, as a young little girl, I had been abused and happens very often, you know, with young girls that oftentimes there are eating disorders because it's a control mechanism, not just with young girls, but with people, you know, just in general. And so there's ways in which our behaviors are manifest, you know, throughout our lives. And as a result of the physical, emotional, and sexual abuse as a young girl, food was my control mechanism. I could eat as much as I want, when I wanted, wherever I wanted, however I wanted, I would take little Debbie snack cakes and I would run into my room and I would eat the entire box. And, you know, that kind of manifested over my life. And so by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was 210 pounds and I joined Weight Watchers with my mom and I was on a series of, you know, a number of diets. I can't tell you how many before I graduated high school, you know, the number of things that I had tried that really didn't help though, you know, because then I went off to college and now here I was eating on a meal plan in the college cafeteria as much as I want a full buffet. And so I was just got bigger and bigger. And so my senior year, I went to get a physical before I returned to college and my family doctor, obviously he knew my family and I have a couple family members who are quite large as well. And again, very similar, you know, patterns. And so he said, look, like you've got to do something, you know, I know what your family history is. I know what your, you know, gene pool is like. And he put me on FenFen. So I don't know if you remember, and I don't know how old your listeners are, but that was a diet pill back in the late 1990s. And people were dying from it, but they didn't know right away, you know, obviously the clinical trials. And so I was taking it and it was really an amphetamine. It was speed. And I was like oh, constant vibration. And Christina, you know, me, you know, I'm full of energy <laughs> and without having to have speed, but I mean, I was crazy. I was, you know, sleeping maybe two or three hours a night, which in college is not a bad thing because I'm studying late nights, partying all the things. And then he called me and said, you got to stop taking that. So I had lost some weight then, but then it was really when I moved to Florida a guy had asked me a question and this question I asked her audience as well. I went to the gym and the trainer before I was leaving that first day, it was kind of the complimentary session. And he had weighed me and done my body fat analysis and called me back into his office when I was done with my warm up, which was for me, it was a full-blown workout. I mean, it was 15 minutes on a treadmill and I was like huffing and puffing the entire way, like dripping sweat. So he calls me back into his office and he says, you know, if you were to gain just one pound every month, every month for the next five years, you'll be closer to 400 than you are to 300. And girl, let me just tell you, Christina, that was like a pound of like, not even a pound, a ton of just weight upon me where I was like, oh my gosh, 400 pounds at 26 years old. Are you kidding? And then I just kept on like multiplying that 30 years old, 35 years old. And oh my gosh, like all of a sudden I thought I'm going to be 800 pounds. I was flashing back to like, you know, fast, fast forward to having cats and sitting around in a moo moo all day. And literally that day, girl, I mean, I went home and perhaps listeners aren't in a space of their health journey or whatnot. But if you think about that, like whether that be you spending $100 more every week at Target or having one more drink every day or whatever your one is, if you do that exponentially and it compounds over five years or 10 years or 20 years, like what is your life going to look like? 
And so it was that moment, girl, that I just took it down. And I was like, not today, Satan. Like I just literally almost like cold Turkey. I tell people my weight loss, I started with 70 pounds pretty quickly because as soon as I started just making small adjustments, literally I cut out alcohol, which let's just be honest. I was drinking a lot to kind of drown my sorrows. And I was looking to fill a lot of voids in my life. And so I cut out alcohol and i dropped 20 pounds immediately. And then I cut my portions in half. And so people ask me, did you use a pill or were you on it for many years? I did, but none of those things worked. And so I tell people it's pretty simple and it's natural eat less and move more. And so that's what I did. And so that kind of started, if you will, jump-started my journey. And so I lost 70 pounds pretty quickly within about six or seven months. And then I plateaued and I was like, mm, how am I going to do this? How am I going to keep going? Because at that point I was still over 200 pounds. And so, and I was, you know, 22 years old. So I thought I really need to keep going. And for me, I then integrated faith, very similar to an AA program or an Al-Anon or um, things like that where I was like, look, like I can't do this on my own. I had to surrender and say, what is my why? And for me, I had grown up in the church, but had not really been practicing and was leaving, you know, a very promiscuous life and doing a lot of things that your college years and exploration, if you will, and rebellion stages. And really that was kind of the turning point for me. So really embracing a new lifestyle really helped me then to make those changes, those long-term changes. So literally since 1997, and here we are in 2021, at the time of this recording, it's been about 125 pounds. Now that's pre-COVID. Okay. So let's just say that there's been a five or seven pound <laughs> increase there. And that's really just for me being sloppy. And I'm not blaming anything on COVID. That's just for me wanting onion rings from Burger King. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. we, yeah, we all tend to fluctuate a little bit with COVID <laughs> yes. and that's totally understandable, but it's been, it's been 20 years. And so that talk in your early twenties, you know, must it, was it the right talk at the right time or was it just, that was what you were looking for? Yeah. What about it truly could? Cause a lot of people can have those talks with you. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you've been on diets with your mother, people mm -hmm. who are supportive. Mm -hmm. That's such a great question too, because you're exactly right. Like you have to be ready and you have to be in an emotional place where you're ready to do it. You can have as many interventions as you want, but if that, if the person is not willing to do it, or you yourself are not willing to make those changes, there's no amount, you know, of money that, that somebody can throw into it or onto it, you know, or put you in a program or whatever I had to be ready. And so there were some things that had happened in my life that had led me to that one. I had just graduated college. The night I graduated college, my, my stepdad died that night. And so here I was within three weeks later, my mom said, my mom is an immigrant, moved here from Italy. And she was very much in this little nucleus of her Italian, you know, immigrant family. They lived in the same neighborhood and the same street and everything. And she said, look, like you still have to go. I had planned on moving to Florida I'm from Western Pennsylvania. And she said, you still have to go. So now here I was literally out, outside of the ecosystem of college, which is already, I felt like I was on naked and afraid. So now I hear, here I am 21 years old in a new state without any friends. And I, that was kind of how, what led me to the gym that day was like, well, where do like young people hang out? And I thought, well, probably the gym here in Florida, everyone looks like they're tan and buff. Like they probably hang out at the gym. So that's where I went to the gym. I went really never having gone to a gym routinely. I mean, I'd gone throughout 
my teens and my college years, but I was not religious, you know, air quote, gym goer by any means. And so it was really just an opportunity for me to kind of connect with people. I'm such a social person. So for me not to have, you know, a college community and campus and roommates and whatnot, I was like, well, where am I going to find people? And I was a teacher, you know, so, but I moved in June and there was school didn't start until August. So I was like, well, what am I going to do for the next two months? That is kind of what led me to that. But also I think about the expression that it's the same message, but it's a different messenger. Like Gary, what Gary had said to me, people had probably said to me at different times of my life through Weight Watchers meetings or, you know, a trainer that my mom had hired at the gym, you know, there probably had been other people who had shared something similar and kind of like painting that vision for me of five years. But for whatever reason, again, there was the dark of the dark night of the soul, if you will, where I had gotten to that place where I was at my rock bottom. And I hate to tell you, but, and I'm sure we, we've all had rock bottom moments, hundred percent, right. That have led us to make changes, hopefully, or at least changes in relationships and behavior patterns. But for me too, Christina, it was, I literally knew like, I have to make a change because I also had it, as I mentioned earlier, a family member God rest her soul. She did pass away several years ago, but she was, at that time she was 400 ish pounds. She ended up passing away at over 800 pounds. So I had a person in my life who I could see as a visual representation of what my life could and would look like if I kept on the trajectory. Not everybody has that. Not everybody has an alcoholic or a drug addict or someone who's completely bankrupt and in debt. And I'm not saying if, if a listener has any of those, there's no judgment by any means. But sometimes we don't have that, that vision of what it will look like if we keep going down this road when I knew I had to make a change. So I think it was just a series of unfortunate circumstances and a series of unfortunate events that led me to that rock bottom moment where I was like, I've got to do something. And so that couldn't have been easy for you, even though you had the moment, you had the aha moment is what some people may call it. And you knew what you needed to do. And but you still, when you have that crutch of food, because I know for me, I've had to make many, many different choices in my life because of certain things that have happened to me, such as my allergies. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things that I can't eat anymore and I have to eat something else. And my taste buds just aren't right for it. So for me, there's motivation that's pushed me forward because I had to there. For me, there was a huge consequence of that, but you, when you make a choice, how do you just, for some people would call it white knuckling it. And it didn't seem like you, did you have your moments of white knuckling it or did the success build upon itself until you hit plateaus? Yeah. You know, that's a great question because as I mentioned, I had a rock bottom moment. That was kind of my rock bottom. I had several more rock bottoms between the time that I started that journey all the way through. I mean, girl, like I used to go to Publix, you know, I live here in Florida in the South and I used to go to Publix and I would buy a cake, literally like a small round cake because it had all the icing and everything. And I, after I'd started this journey, like I had thrown away the cake in the garbage, doused it in Dawn. And then hours later went and pulled it out of the garbage because my sugar addiction. So, I mean, you know, that's the challenge is that it's not like alcohol or drugs or spending money where, we need food, you know what I mean? But what we put into our bodies. And so I think for me, it was a really big challenge because going out with friends and all of a sudden, like, I was like, I want the French fries instead of the side salad. It was really difficult. And again, because I was young and I'm social drinking is a really big deal. And so the fact that I cut that out, yeah, there were some moments where I was like, you know, and I love being the life of the party, if you will. And uh, for a lot of reasons, but I, I, 
when I drank, I was more fun, you know? So it was all of a sudden, like now I was having literally like this juxtaposition of like, who am I? If I'm not the like life of the party bubbly person and here I am now, like I was a little bit more introverted, which is so funny. Like people who meet me now, I'm like, if y'all could have known me in college, like, Whoa, I was coyote ugly up in here. Like I was definitely the party girl. I mean, I was homecoming queen of college. I was everybody's friend, no matter where I went on campus. And I went to a small school. So we're not saying like I was at a big state school with 50,000 people, but I knew everybody and everyone knew me. And I'm not saying that to brag. It's just, that's how much life and energy I had in me. So now all of a sudden you remove that. And I was like, well, I had this identity crisis. Like, who am I? What do people know me for? If I'm not the drunk party girl running around without a shirt on. I mean, I would like, even at 300 pounds, I was like, woo, you know, <laughs> but so there was a huge crisis of identity. It was, it was, it was crazy. So I was really, I struggled for a long time trying to figure out, like you said, that white knuckling moment, like, who am I? What am I really about? What do I want to be about? Did part of it, did any part of moving to Florida, being able to recreate, be anybody who you wanted to be? Was that freeing for you? A hundred percent girl. Let me just tell you, because I, I, you know, like Prince, right. He became the artist formerly known as Prince. I came out of college and I was Fran, Fran Fultz. And I was like, I'm moving to Florida. I'm going to become Franny because Fran just sounded old. And there was also a boy that went to my school who was Fran. And I would always be like, oh my gosh, it's a boy's name, you know? And even though it's not, I mean, there's a male and female derivative of it, but I, I kind of reinvented myself. And then I moved here in June and then I went home at Christmas for the first time in December and people didn't recognize me because I was literally almost, you know, 70 pounds less. Like I looked very different and my, you know, skin obviously was not as full in my face. So I would see people out, you know, obviously the holidays, everyone's out. I would see people and I'd be like, it's Franny, Franny Fultz. And they were like, oh, Fran. And so I really got to reinvent myself, if you will. And, uh, but I like to believe that every day, you know, I don't really believe in YOLO. I think you only live once is kind of like a cliche. I like to believe that you live every day, right? You die once, but you live every day. And so every day I try to like, I literally, I mean, I'm a very faith-filled person. And so I wake up and I'm like, okay, God, you gave me breath for today. Like, what is it you want me to do today? And I kind of set my intention with who can I bless? How can I be a blessing to someone today? What, what am I here for kind of thing? And if I, at the end of the day, if I don't, you know, I'm not always happy with the things that I've said or done or that I didn't say or do. And I just pray, okay, God, forgive me for that. And give me an opportunity to do it again tomorrow. If you want to wake me up tomorrow, I'm going to try better. So I like to always remind myself that I don't let my past, if I eat something or if I didn't work out or the legalist side of me, where I want to go ahead and check things off my list that make me feel complete. That's not what this is about. And so somebody I know who might be listening to this might be feeling like we have to be a doer, doer, doer. And I am a doer hundred percent. You know that Christina, but I also feel like sometimes we are human beings. We are meant to be still, we're meant to be in relationship with one another. We're meant to be content. You know, it doesn't mean that we don't strive to be our best, to be our best, but it doesn't mean that that is where our wholeness or our fullness in life comes from. Where did forgiveness of yourself or forgiveness in general, it sounds like you have the ability to forgive yourself for things that happened in the past. Yeah. Did you find that then, or have you always known that and you just, you were able to apply it some more? No. And that's a great question. And again, for me, it's more of a faith-based kind of connotation to it because it's the definition of grace really is giving yourself forgiveness for something that's unmerited or undeserving. And I think I had to forgive 
other people for what had, you know, they had done to me. And I never, I never wanted to play the victim. And I did for a long time, like, well, this was done to me. So therefore this was the consequence, right? Because of this, A, B was the result. And so it took me a long time. And I remember I worked with a counselor. I spent lots of years in therapy girl, and I'm a full advocate of that. And I remember her saying to me, and I had a broken engagement. I was afraid I had at 26 years old, I'd moved to Cleveland then. And I was engaged to a guy who had only known me thin. And I was so afraid, Christina, that I was going to get heavy again. And I was so afraid there was so much fear in my life. And I was not in a good headspace. Like I was not, I was still operating kind of under this legalistic kind of checking it off your list to be a doer. And so I was so afraid that he was going to find out or that I was going to get heavy again. He wasn't going to love me. It was very conditional. And so my counselor had said to me, you know, Franny, because we had broken up and it was probably almost a year into therapy. And she had said to me, it is like a snake bite. The snake bite happened, but it's the venom you let run through your veins that is going to kill you. And I was like, boom, that was the first time that I had ever really heard something like that, where I empowered myself to say, I'm not going to blame anyone anymore. I have to forgive. Like she had said to me, the person who sexually abused you, they're not losing sleep at night, but you are, and you're still beating yourself up. And I was like, wow. I mean, there was all of this, like literally in my head swimming around when I thought I do have to forgive them. I can't move on because if I can't forgive them, I'm not going to be able to move on. But then you had mentioned and asked a really great question. Like, when did you learn to forgive yourself? Girl, that took a long time. And I can honestly say that's something I work on all the time because there's pride, right? Like that's pride comes before the fall. And I had fast forward into my late thirties. I had lost the weight obviously. And I kept it off for two plus decades, about two decades at that point, but I wasn't married and I got really angry at God. And I was like, why am I not married? And I was so mad that I entered into an extramarital affair. And as a Christian, that was like the scarlet letter. You know, I all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, like I became that person because my dad had had affairs on my mom. And I, you know, became a hypocrite because I always said I would never be her, air quote her to the mistress. And so I was really just wrought with, I felt sinful and hypocrisy and just regret and shame. And so really girl, I mean, I need to tell you like, it took me a long time. Like I'm 45 now. And I probably have just been able in the last year to say, it's what I did. It's not who I am. Like, I don't carry that. Yes. It's something that happened. Am I proud of it? No, but it's helped me because now I can come alongside of, I've actually counseled a lot of women whose husbands have had affairs and it's been really interesting. And I'm not even counseled, but just kind of offered the perspective as to here's what's going on on both sides. Here's what's happening. And so um, just being able to walk through, you know, alongside of someone and say, me too, like, you're going to get there. You're going to, you're going to across the finish line, if you will. So, so a lot of women and men put on weight to, to hide, to hide themselves, because I can tell you from when I've been more overweight than what I am now, you're, you're invisible. You are Mm -hmm. truly invisible. So that weight makes you invisible. So it seems like there's a little bit of contradiction because you were alive and you were very, uh, you had a lot of friends and it didn't seem like, did you use that for a type of being invisible? You know, it's interesting for me. I think it's actually the opposite. I, I, I thought that everyone saw my weight. Like I literally thought that when people would see me walking into a room, they'd be like, oh, there's the elephant, right? So I use my personality to hide my body. 
So I always wanted people to be like, oh, that really funny girl, Franny or Fran, or that really fun person, or, oh yeah, she's a hoot, like whatever. I wanted people to, oh, we just love Franny, you know? So I masked my weight with my personality. So it was, for me, it was a little bit of the opposite. And I was still there. I mean, even though now they have such cute clothes for like juniors and plus size things back then I was, I looked like a 40 year old woman because guess what? They didn't have clothes. You know, I think I dress cuter now than I did, you know, 45 <laughs> than I did back then. And, and it's not because of a size. It's just because of the way that fashions and trends and yoga pants, let's just be real, you know, have definitely come a long way, but I think I used it the opposite because I couldn't fit in, if you will, to the grunge era, you know, of all the Nirvana and Creed and all the, you know, songs and all the uh, bands and everything of the day. So for me, I, it was the reverse, you know, where I used my personality because I did always have an excitable effervescent, you know, flamboyant personality, if you will. So I used that. I was like, okay, well this works for me. So I'm going to play to my strengths versus the weakness. So I really started using that as really an opportunity. It's kind of my advantage. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because that is kind of the opposite of the way a lot of people who are survivors of sexual abuse tend to use their weight. Yeah, there is that escaping, but most people escape with food and with their body size so that they are ignored and so that they aren't attractive. That's, that's very interesting. And uh, it's, so it seems like you knew that we all know it, but we all don't live it that we are more than this physical body. Mm -hmm. And so do you believe that you have to experience something to, to be able to be empathetic? No. And that's a great question because I oftentimes will say to people, I just did a podcast about this. I have my own podcast as well. And I talked about how I can have cancer and I can go to an oncologist who's never had cancer, hundred percent. They have the knowledge, they have the experience, they have, you know, all the things, they have the credentials and whatnot. But when you do have someone who has walked a mile in your moccasins, metaphorically speaking, of course, I feel like there's a different level of vulnerability and empathy that somebody has. And for me, that's really important. Like, I'm not a person, like, there are some people who they want like the very best doctor or whatever. And I'm like, I want a person who can like be real with me. Like when I come in the room and they're looking at, you know, I'm in that gown, I want them to be real with me, you know? Yes. It's great. But it's great if they're really smart. Of course I want a really good surgeon if they're going to open me up, but I want someone who is going to laugh with me and smile with me. Like if you come in and you have no affect and you have no personality, you're not my people. Like I need someone who's going to laugh and just kind of make me feel comfortable, you know? So I think for me, having had the experience of someone else and having that vulnerability. And I always joke that like, I bear and share it all. Like on my podcast, I talk about things that might be a little irreverent, especially for a Christian, because mine's very much a Christian platform. And I'm like, look, like I'm going to go a little bit rogue on here. So if you're offended by that, like you're not my people, you know, because I feel like, especially in the Christian space, I feel like a lot of people, they mask it. Like I just got done sharing with you about my affair. Like that was a really big deal. Oh, and I didn't tell you, Christina, like it was with a pastor. Okay. So like, I've got the double, like the highway to hell, you know, like the double (laughs) ticket to hell and people don't want to talk about that. People are afraid to have those conversations. And I'm like, you know what? I don't give power to the situation. Like I'm empowered when I share it, I no longer have shame. It doesn't define me anymore. So I feel like when people can be open and real and honest, one, you connect with people more intimately. And then I feel like you just have a different bond. Yeah. 
And I think what I've learned about you and, and in listening to your podcast and in talking with you, it seems like you really, I, I think forgiveness is a big thing. And I know in the Christian faith, it is, it is good or bad. It is black or white. You know, that gray area, I think, comes from people who, who've been both and, and who are able to forgive. I, I know growing up in where I, the fire and the brimstone, you were going to hell if you did this, that, or the other, mm-hmm. there was no forgiveness. And, uh, and I think that's, we're human. We, you know, allowing yourself to be human. And, and I think truly in listening to you talk about all that you've been through, to me, what that means is you've really dealt with it. Yes. Well, and let me just tell you, it is only from these dark times. Like I said, I've had several rock bottom moments, obviously, as I mentioned from my 21 to, you know, 40 years old, you know, a lot of things happened. And here's the other thing too, Christina, is that even good things can be bad things if they have the wrong priority in your life. So for example, after I lost weight and then after I'd broken up, you know, my engagement and everything, I got extremely religious and I got extremely like addicted, if you will, to to exercise and exercise is good, but I would spend like two and a half hours in the morning at the gym, like before work, you know, two hours, I'd get there at five when it opened, I would leave at six 30 or seven. And then it would come back after hours because again, that was my control mechanism. And then the same thing with religion, where I was like, so legalistic, because I mean, I like devoured Bible studies. And again, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to figure it out, right? We're always kind of in that space of figuring out the middle is always the worst, right? If you think about middle school, not a good time. You're not the prettiest version of yourself. If you think about midlife, people go out and buy, you know, sports cars and have affairs, right? Like midlife, middle of anything is not really good for the most part. So I think for me, um, having walked through those middle grounds that were uncomfortable. And I did have to learn to forgive myself. I did have to learn to, to get over myself. I, I, one of my podcast episodes coming up, I'm talking about being full figured and I'm like, it's okay to be full of yourself to a certain time. Cause you want to be filled up with what you're filled up with. It matters. So whatever you're filled up with, like that's what matters most. So being full of yourself is not necessarily a bad thing if you're filled up on the right things. So exactly. And do you think being able to be open with yourself and to be very willing to, to ponder who you are, what you've been, rather than just placing, this is bad, this is good. Do you think that that has helped you from, you know, we all take one step forward and two steps back every now and then. Sure. Do you think that's really kept you from sliding back? It sounds to me like you say, I've been here before, and you have a coping mechanism to keep you from sliding back. Yeah. And you're so right. Like, you know, life is really one step forward, two steps back almost in everything, whether it be business, you know, finances, relationships, you know, health, whatever, whatever it is, we oftentimes, you know, but here's the best part. We keep moving forward. You keep moving. So even if you take a step back for a, for a hot minute, you're like, okay, I'm going to recollect myself. And what do I need to do to move forward? And so I think that's the most important thing is, you know, there's a proverb or there's actually a scripture to uh, fall down seven, get up eight. And so you just building resiliency. And I think for me, like I'm very gritty, you know, and I definitely have been through a lot over the years and I won't, I would never give any, any of it up because it's defined me and helped create my character. The biggest challenge I think is I've worked with some people and I'm only saying this is when sometimes when people don't know how, like they don't have the tools. And this is one thing 
That's why I mentioned therapy earlier. Like you have to have someone to help you guide you. And it doesn't have to be a therapist per se, but I have a lot of really good sisters, if you will. I'm one, one girl of only boys in my family, but I love that I have a community of people, one who are real with me. Like I have friends who are like my one friend, I love her to death. Her name is Stephanie. And she'll say, I'll go, Oh my gosh, I wonder what people think. I wonder. And she goes, I need to tell you, she's like, people are not really thinking about you. She's like, they might hear it for a minute. She's like, but they've got their own lives going on. And I was like, Oh, like it kind of checked my heart. Like, Oh, like I'm, I'm not really that big of a deal in the world. You know what I mean? I think it's easy to put your blinders on and think like everyone's looking at you or whatever. And really that's not the case. Really. It's like, everybody has their own, I don't want to say shit going on, but stuff going on. If you need to edit that, let me know, but everybody has their own stuff going on. And so, yeah, it might be scandalous for a minute, or it might be something that, you know, I eyebrow raising moment, but really what it comes back to is like, everybody has their own stuff going on. You know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw any stones. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree with that. It's because we all, we, we all do have to move forward. And so, but you say that you wouldn't give this experience or that experience. And there are some people who are like, I wouldn't go through that for the world. I wouldn't go through what I went through in high school. And I'm kind of figuratively looking back. I wouldn't go through that again for the life of me. If you told me I could go back to this age and I could change whatever I wanted, I I wouldn't do it. So explain to us by what you mean by that. Help us because I, I'm kind of the same way. I'm yeah. glad for everything that I've been through, but I do have family who they're, they're pissed that they went through X, Y, and Z. I think mm-hmm. they're happy with who they are right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. And I think again, for me, it's, it's different because of, uh, and I shouldn't say that I don't, there's no judgment around this, or I don't know you or your family or whatever, well enough to say that. But I think for me, it comes from a place of in all of my cracks, right? That's where God's light can shine through. So when people, I lead retreats and I do different things with women and people are like, oh, like she looks like she has it together, but then they hear me and they're like, oh, she's a hot mess. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they're only able to see that God has really like restored and redeemed those things. And, you know, I always joke around not to be too graphic or anything, but you're a winner, you know? And I say that because your swimmer made it through the millions to get to the egg. So you know what I'm saying there on that one, right? And so you already won. And if you are waking up every day, you are a winner. You are here for a divine purpose. And whether you're Christian or Buddhist or, you know, Jewish, wherever you are, like you're here, you get, you get to help other people on their journey. You know, and I know that oftentimes like we think that life is all about us and especially, you know, this day and age where it's a me, 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 and very narcissistic and look at me and selfies and all the things, but really like life's not about us you know, our opportunities. I hope that this message, you know, blesses someone and it inspires someone today, or at least makes them feel less alone today or helps them to feel like, okay, you know what? Like I've walked through some major crap in my life, but I'm better for it. You know, I hope that that is what this does today. And Mm -hmm. I just love your platform that you're bringing real people on talking about real life issues that are allowing people to feel connected through that space of vulnerability. So I just, you know, continue to applaud you on what you're doing, sister friend. Like, this is good stuff. You know, because I like to think of it in terms of what what are the assumptions that people make of you that may be true or may not be true? Because I think that's kind of why I started this is, you know, and some of the people who I talked to early on is people have big assumptions about them that 
wasn't necessarily true. They were, they're good, decent human people. Mm-hmm. So what are yeah. some of the assumptions that you find people may make about you that either need to be cleared or they may be right? I think people look at me, you know, I'm not, I'm not married still 45 years old. I've never been married. I have no children. So I think, you know, just to joke around, like with guys, when guys are like, well, what's wrong with you? Like there's something wrong with you. If you're 45, never been married, no kids, or, oh, you must be really picky or, you know, all the things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I think that sometimes people will make assumptions that there is, you know, maybe something that's hidden or something, maybe that I'm too high maintenance. I think that sometimes people will have some of those assumptions about me, but what I've learned is like, that's your story. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to make that assumption about me, that's not on me anymore. I think that I used to worry too much. You know, like I said, I used to want to be this perfect picture, perfect, if you will. And now like I put out pictures last week on Instagram and I was like, look, like I almost didn't post these pictures. It was a picture of me in a swimming suit paddle boarding. And I, you know, joked around like the first line says, I almost didn't post this because I have more cottage cheese on my size than Publix has at their dairy aisle. Like, I'm just like, I'm very real. Even though I've lost 130, you know, 25 pounds. It's like, I still have cellulite, but guess what? I have a friend who's 112 pounds and she has cellulite too. You know what I mean? So I was like, I'm just going to start putting it out there. I'm going to start putting the elephant in the living room and saying like, we're going to talk about this because I think that it is easy, especially with all the filters and photoshopping and everything like that. It is so easy to look at someone's life and make assumptions about their lives. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put things out there that are real. And I think that's really important that it, that it is real, that, you know, I used to think of it in terms of in my own life, when I was really being hard on myself is I kind of assumed that if I'd made some different choices, that I would be this other better person. I wouldn't be just who I am. Whereas I don't know that that's necessarily true. I am who I am and I'm happy with who I am. And it's probably the accumulation of those choices. Whereas I would have liked to have not made a few more mistakes and still been who I am. Sure. But I think, uh, I think there's that, you know, did you ever see the movie Sliding Doors? No. Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. It's from the, it's from the late nineties. It's where um, something happens and she kind of splits up into two ways. And she, you know, it's like, it's a common theme among some things, but it's really well done. It's an English movie where she goes one way and chooses one thing where she goes another way and chooses something else. And at the end, you get to see how it turns out. I'm like, oh, I've always thought that's a, a neat and kind of interesting concept. Yeah. But ultimately, it has her um, turning out the same, the way it should be, mm-hmm. no matter what she's been through. And I really, really like that. Well, I think, you know, I wish we all had a crystal eight ball, right? We could all look ahead and project to what our future will be like if, you know, we could, should, would have done this. And um, I think that it just goes back to, you know, being happy, not happy, because that's such a fleeting thing, but the contentment that we find in recognizing that you're exactly where you're meant to be at every given moment, you know, and having an acceptance around that, that yeah, mistakes and not mistakes you know, and I can't explain why good things, you know, bad things happen to good people and, you know, why good things happen to bad people. I can't explain that. I never will be able to understand it. Um, Those are, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, you know, and hopefully I'll find out then. But I think that, you know, I have friends who go to fortune tellers and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, they're like, you should come, you should come. I'm like, nope. I'm like, I'm totally fine with not knowing where my life is going. Like I live very much, you know, 
in a dark room a lot of times with just like a pen light flashlight where God is just like leading me. And I'm like, okay, that's where we're going. Like for many years, I didn't live like that. I was, you know, I had planned by the time I was 30, I was going to have three kids and I was going to have a suburban. It was going to be white with tan. Like I had all like every vision board that you could ever imagine. That's just my life. Like I was very, very, very specific and detailed that way. And then 30 came and went and I was like, well, I'm not married. And then 32 and then 35 and then 38. And I was like, well, this vision board is just stupid, you know? And I will be honest, it's hard, Christina, because I gave up. I literally lost hope for a long time because I thought if I dream these dreams and if I've had these visions and if I wanted these and desired these things and I haven't gotten them, like, what's the point of even having a dream or a hope? And I really did. I mean, I was, I don't want to say I was depressed, but I was just like hopeless. I was just like, this is stupid. I'm going to stop dreaming dreams anymore, you know, and I'm just going to kind of stop caring. And uh, that's really where, unfortunately, like where I started, where I was like, screw it. Like I've lived for God and I've done all the right things. And, you know, and like, that's when I was like, well, there's this really good looking guy right here. And he's offering himself up and to take me to dinner and, you know, to do all the things, and, you know, he was separated when it first started happening. And so it was kind of like, oh, it's just very friendly. And it was very, as most affairs start emotional. And uh, I was like, I'm just going to kind of roll with this. And because I had lost hope in everything, you know, and that's where, you know, if you think about a Holocaust survivor, like I know that there are very few of them left, but um, you know, I've heard several interviews and read books and things like that. And that was the one thing that they said they had to hold on to hope that there was something on the other side, that it was going to get better. And if you, you know, don't wake up expecting something good to happen, if you wake up just, you know, wanting to hit snooze and crawl back into bed in 12 or 16, 18 hours, then that's, that's a tough place to be. And I've been there and there's no judgment on it. I will, any of your listeners can call me and just be like, girl, you were right in my head because I know it's a tough place to be, but you can get it restored. I promise you. Yeah. I think with this past year, with the pandemic, that's been the hardest thing for me is when is this going to be over? And when do I have hope again? When was that dream where you know, because I was supposed to have moved last year. I was supposed to have moved to Oregon and Oregon shut down and uh, it didn't happen and it might not happen for another year or two. And uh, yeah. so I, I, I really understand that it's, but I decided I'm going to be happy in the moment. I'm going to make the best with what I have right now. Um, mm-hmm. And if that works out in the future, that's fine. Yep. But I'm going to be really happy with, with what is. Well, you know, and you bring up a good point too. And, you know, going back to like your sliding doors comment and whatnot, and, you know, what would your life look like if you were to go A or B, you know, which door you went through for many years between 30 and 40, you know, I just thought to myself, I'm just going to live. I'm going to not look for the one I'm going to be the one. So when that person arrives, I'm going to be ready to go. So I lived internationally for two different summers. I was a teacher. So I had the flexibility of my schedule to do that. I got my master's degree. You know, I learned a new language. I became a fitness instructor. Like I did all these things throughout that decade, throughout that span, because I thought, you know what, I'm not just going to live like so many people. I, I talked to a lot of women who are single, who kind of pine over, like you're saying, like your metaphorical Oregon, like I'm going to move there when, right. And so they're like, well, when I get a husband, I will. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you need to do that now. Like you need to start acting as if right now, like in that space, in that place, because if you just allow yourself to wait for that moment, you're going to miss, like you said, Christina, like the here and the now, like 
you're going to, I mean, look at what you have done during this time of the pandemic. Like you started not one, but two podcasts. Like you're doing some amazing things. Like you're not letting life pass you by. You're not being a victim to your circumstances. And I think it's easy to do um, when we are in a place of helplessness, hopelessness, when we're in that kind of space and place. And so, you know, I applaud anyone who digs themselves out of the, you know, trenches and out of the ditch and says, nope, not today. We're not playing that game today. And you're going to make mistakes along the way. I think people are afraid of making the mistakes. Whereas if I, if I live like X, Y, or Z, and this is my choice and it's a mistake, well, oops, that's okay. And I think that's where forgiveness comes in. Yeah. And you really do have to learn to forgive yourself. You know what I've learned too? You have to learn to laugh at yourself. Like I laugh at myself every day. Like sometimes I'll put on underwear inside out and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, and that's a stupid sur- superfluous, you know, example, but yeah. it's like, I make mistakes all the time. I say things to people that I'm like, did I just offend like the world, you know, with that or for whatever reason, I'm like, I, I never, my, my intention is never to hurt anyone, but I do it all the time because I say whatever's in my head, there's no filter oftentimes between the thought and the mouth, my words. And so I think to myself, you know what? I just learned to laugh about it. I ask for forgiveness. I ask for grace. And if they don't offer it, if they don't receive it, that's not my story. Like, I'm just like, Hey, look, I did what I could. I'm sorry. I think I mentioned something that was really stupid. I did that to a girlfriend of mine a couple of weeks ago. I said, I, I probably spoke out of turn. We were on a phone call and I called her back and said, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And she's like, about what? Like she had no clue. Like here I was like, I probably would have gone to bed. Like role-playing the 3000 conversations and writing her a letter. And should I write her a card? Should I send her a text? Should I send her an email? And I was like, I'm just going to call her. And so like, now it's much more immediate before the 1.0 version of Franny would have like perseverated on it and thought about it and stewed over it and lost sleep over it and ate a whole cake over it, all the things. And now I'm like, I just learned I'm much more resilient that way. Like, ah, it's okay. And I think resilience plays a big part in getting through when things don't turn out exactly as you wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, yes, I do think that every, uh, there's always an opportunity to do something different, right? There's always an opportunity. So if things didn't turn out the way you want, you know, I just did a podcast on the growth mindset because I was telling, you know, I said to people like, look, like you have an opportunity then to take you're learning to the next level. And how can you do that? And what does that look like? Again, the former teacher and me, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. I hate that expression, but it's like, there's no one way to solve a math problem. There are several ways you can figure it out. You know, I hate math, but you know, I just think that there are so many ways in which you can still arrive. I, I did a clubhouse uh, message with a girlfriend of mine a couple weeks ago. She had always wanted to be an actress, like a sitcom actress in Hollywood. And I've always wanted to be a talk show hostess. And so our whole message on Clubhouse was simply, it might not look like what you thought it was going to look like, but you can still have it. And so she, she now has, she has millions and millions of TikTok viewers and just, she's gone viral in a lot of ways. And so I was laughing because I said, you do realize like you actually have more audience, more of an audience that you could ever get, you know, per se sitting in a, you know, theater or whatever. And I said, and you're international. I said, you have people from like all over the world. And then with me, like, having a podcast, like I'm having a talk show per se, but it just doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. And so really kind of having to adjust your vision and saying like, I still have 
the, the product is the same or the vision, which just uh-huh. doesn't look the way that I once had imagined it to look like. So I think being flexible, firing your goals. I always talk about like, you're the one who makes your goals. So you're the one who can fire them as well. You know, don't get so hellbent and like beat yourself up if you didn't get there this week or this month or whatever. Absolutely. Because who would have known when we were both young that there would have been things such as a podcast? hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like Nobody would have ever, ever envisioned that or imagined that. And so here we are now. I mean, they're growing at exponential rates, right? They were saying that between March and June or something, there were like mm-hmm. exponential, exponential amounts of uh, yeah. podcasts that launched during COVID. So definitely. Yeah. And so tell us what, what are you working on now? Now you've, you've hinted a little bit about your podcast, Yeah. Uh, uh, but you're quite active in other areas. Yes, very much so. So I have my podcast, as you mentioned, it's called the shine with Franny show and uh, it's a solo cast. So I don't have any guests on, but I just pretty much just got out in their short 15, 20 minutes. And I just kind of riff about something, you know, just got lots of different ideas. And then I lead uh, groups of women. Literally I lead them through fitness. You know, my goal is to help women get stronger, healthier, more confident because I was none of those things for a long time, you know? And so we can do so much more when we are in our full optimal health, when we are optimizing, you know, what we have. And when you have confidence like that, when you, um, when you are healthy and kind of living in your best self, and I'm not just saying like a certain weight or size, when you are healthy, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all of those things wrapped in one, you're going to pursue your dreams. You're going to go after the things you're going to believe that you can accomplish those things. And so I really want women, you know, my kind of tagline, if you will, is to help them be stronger, healthy, more confident, So they can live more fully, freely, and fearlessly because so often we are, we are victims, I guess, if you will, to our, you know, strongholds and to the past, if you will. And so I don't want people to live in that. I want people to like, look forward. And like we were talking about having hope. So I help lead women through lots of different things. You know, I have a um, program I'm doing right now called courageous. It's an eight day challenge where I help women literally like we're getting centered. There's meditation, there's quiet, which we don't do very often in our world. And then we're doing core strengthening exercises because courage, right? The word courageous comes from cur, the French word cur, which is heart. So we're getting into the heart of what we want in our lives and what God wants for us. And then of course, we're looking into our strengthening our core. So how are we doing that? And then, um, yeah. So, and I coach women, you know, I help women if they're trying to unpack something, if they're trying to get past some of those past, you know, hiccups, if you will, and you know, those mistakes that they don't want to make again, moving forward. That's, that's wonderful. And I, I look forward to seeing more and more of you online. Uh, Cause I, you're very inspiring to me. You really are. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I'm blessed by you and I'm so excited to see how this grows. Cause I really think this is a tremendous platform. I I'm having a lot of fun with it and it's been a pleasure having you on today. Cause I think being brave, no matter what life deals to you being in your grace within yourself, I think is a profound lesson. Yes. And it's always good that we see an example of someone so that not that we follow you, but that we were like, okay, Franny did it. I can do it too. Yes. Yeah. I actually have a podcast about this where I talk about a sensei, the word sensei. And I actually wrote a book last year. And I, this is one of the whole chapters in the book is the word sensei is not like a martial arts teacher. It literally, the Japanese translation is, is the person who's gone before. And so if there's a new mom down the road, 
and just had a baby, she can offer some advice to the mom who just had a baby yesterday and be like, oh, let me explain this breastfeeding thing to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if somebody is one day ahead of you, they're already in your eyes, they might be a mentor. They might be a coach. They might be a role model, you know, an inspiration. They might be any of those things too, because they are one step ahead of you. And that's all that it takes. Mm-hmm. So, Cause there are so many things you don't know that you don't know. And I being in my life, there's been so many times where I'm like, I don't mind people explaining stuff to me. And I, I'm happy to find out what I didn't know that I didn't know. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's such a relief. And then I go and explore it on my own and, and I, and I interpret things for myself, but yeah, that's powerful. Well, you know, and I think too, you bring up a great point. I know that we want to close. So I yeah, apologize, no, but I think, good. you know, bringing um, humility, you know, and being open to learning, you know, I know that I've worked with some people and I'll, and I'll say like, I've actually turned away some clients. And I'm like, look, like, I don't think you're in a place like you had asked in the beginning of this, like what led you to that place where you want to make a change? Not everybody's there. And if I ask some questions and I kind of get to the root of some things, and if people aren't willing to go there, it'll be hard for me to tap into that heart place where they want, where they need to go to heal. I can't get there. And I'll say to them, you know what? I just don't think that you're ready just yet to work with me. Maybe it's someone else for whatever reason. And I think you bring up a really brilliant point that, you know, being humble to say like, what can I do differently? How can I learn from this? Who can I learn from? You know, a lot of people are, um, they kind of uh, feel less than if they feel like they don't have the answers, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. As always such a joy. So thank you so much for having me. And I hope that this, you know, helps other people. Oh, I know it will. It's good for us to, to see ourselves and, and to learn a little something from people along the way. You got it, sweet sister. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The We as Citizens podcast, because conversation matters.